The Accutron Show. Accutron. It's not a timepiece. It's a conversation piece. With your host, Bill McCuddy, and contributors, Scott Alexander and David Graver. I would say that sustainability has now become more sustainable. Like every single person is always saying they're sustainable, they're green. I think it's really overused. The voice you heard at the top of the show was today's guest, Susan Rockefeller, award-winning documentary filmmaker, artist, and conservationist. But first up, me, Bill McCuddy, culture writer Scott Alexander, and editor David Graber discussing sustainability and the art and challenges of fundraising today. All that and more on this episode of The Accutron Show. Stay tuned. They say that charity begins at home. Our guest is Susan Rockefeller, and she is a philanthropist and a filmmaker, and she's going to talk to us about uh, what she thinks the future holds for fundraising and also just being an activist. But if it starts at home, how are you doing at home, David? Are you a charitable guy? I have organizations that I like to support. That sounds um, like a no. <laughs> in particular, um, <laughs> GLAD and the Trevor Project mean a great deal to me. And I donate personally, but I've also done collaborative products to sell specifically for those LGBT organizations that I care a great deal about. What about you? I write some checks. I march every now and then. I, I have don't go to a soup kitchen. There's one that Bon Jovi runs out near where I live, but I've never set foot in it. Uh, I do a lot of... Uh, you know, fundraising. I'm the funny auctioneer for a lot of charities. Hey, you're donating your time. That's, that's I do kind a lot of, of how I like to be involved. As is well. that is that what you do? Uh, I tr- I'm trying to be as direct as possible with my actions. I did a lot of uh, deliveries actually during the Corona times to people who there's the, all these different action networks in my neighborhood where you can go. People who are shut in, you can go shop for them, bring them their groceries, do all these things. So I'm I'm trying to do that one to one thing. A friend of mine started something called the Emergency Task Force. His name is Vinny Lavienne, and he was uh, his dad was a cop. He's always been involved in uh, police and uh, giving back. And he literally delivered like fifty thousand pizzas to hospitals, and and did a lot during is continuing to do a lot during the pandemic. I wonder what is our responsibility during the pandemic to be a better citizen. We're going to talk to Susan about that. We're going to talk to her about some of the films she's made. You've run into her, David, at Sundance. Indeed, because I I sometimes write about the VR sector, the VR and augmented reality sector as well. And for a filmmaker like Susan, it makes sense that it it is the next frontier. So I was there to see several things. She was there with particular interest in What was the coolest thing you saw at the VR thing in Sundance? It was... (laughs) It's a shame that I don't remember the name of it, but it was an experience in a pool at a hotel where you are wearing a wetsuit, wearing an Oculus, and floating in the water. Some oh, famous wow. filmmaker did a thing about starting in they had Mexico. a waterproof Oculus? Indeed. Well, th- this is the same sort of idea. This this guy, uh, the name escapes me, a famous filmmaker did one like It's eight the Amnesia show, ladies and gentlemen. If you know, call in. It's now a game show. Uh, where. It was the experience of escaping from Mexico into the United States. Oh, wow. And uh, you're swimming across a river at night and all of those things. Uh, I, it's I, I like to play the games more, you know, keep talking and nobody dies. I don't know if you guys have played that one. Virtual, <laughs> virtual reality is a Isn't great Isn't that tool. this podcast? That's one where one person's wearing, <laughs> one person's wearing VR goggles and they see this room and they have to defuse a bomb and everyone else who is not wearing it has um, to tell them how to do it. Has the manual for the uh. bomb. <laughs> so the one person can see it, everyone else has to describe it. Uh, to me, virtual reality is still in the infant stages, the crawling stages, which is ironic since that's what some of the VR things are involved in. Uh, we'll, the we'll new talk to Oculus uh, wireless one is great. The, the Quest 2, 
It's a really strong product. I gave it to my dad actually for Christmas. Really? Yeah. And then you stole it back. No, I've got, I've, I've got so many. But it is a wonderful I've tool for so empathy many. and inspiration. And it really is like the future of storytelling will come from VR or with, will be within the VR or augmented reality. Our guest, Susan, uh, has also designed something that all women can wear, some kind of a uniform. Yeah, the enlightened uniform, I think, is what it's called. And I know it's composed of upcycled Does materials. Does it make you enlightened? <laughs> <laughs> I think the enlightenment is, in this particular instance, is the thought that we don't need to consume at all times. We can wear something over and over again that meets our needs. I think that is the fundamental message of cool hunting, right? It's an important— You don't need any more oh. stuff. <laughs> you know, we do, we do have a hashtag, I mean, a tag that runs through the site called Good Measure that has all of our charitable offerings, everything that gives back, everything that has a donation or an extra product. So if you're on the website, go through good measure as a tag, and you'll buy things that can give back to other people. She has a website also called musingsmag.com that uh, vets some of these charities and does what you're doing on Cool Hunting. Well, so it's she not will just tell that. She actually that. interviews these guys and does these really in-depth things. I was browsing through Musings. It's like, it's, a, it's really deep. There's a wonderful hard cider profile that I just read. Yeah. It's deep whole- and you could get through it. <laughs> this, this great photographer who's doing amazing work with um, discarded plastics. She she is a beachcomber, but not for cool shells and driftwood. She's a beachcomber for plastic. And then she takes all the plastic home and makes these amazing photographs out of uh, discarded plastic. It's kind of an environmental That's message. one of Susan's uh, documentaries. We will talk about that with her as well. Also, is there going to be an Oscars this year? She votes in the Academy. And uh, Variety had a piece about, should we skip it this year? Uh, it seems like heresy, but we will discuss that. Skip with them her. all, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> or virtual. The virtual Oscars being played off in your own living room. Like- I mean, the to- you see the Tony nominations? <laughs> yeah. What a mess. Yeah. I think really from filmmaking to philanthropy, Susan is basically an all-around storyteller. I think storytelling unites all of her work. We've seen it in her documentary films, and we've seen it through her social media and her Instagram. But is she using social media in a way that promotes that? I think she is. And then how does she feel about things like the social dilemma where Facebook and Twitter and are coming under fire for really manufacturing us into these little bots that want to you know, make us go out and those, buy things? Those poor beleaguered little tech companies, they have <laughs> such a hard time. I do think she's living the life and she's using social media to show that she's living the life, especially with regard to the environment. Absolutely. I mean, living the life, you know, we're all, we're all living this Corona life these days. And one one of the most amazing things I saw in terms of talking about philanthropy was um, this self-organizing group in Brooklyn called Corona Courier. Um, It's a bunch of bike messengers who were suddenly out of work and they decided we can create this collective to deliver groceries to people who are, are shut in, right? For free. Like, well, we can pay for their groceries. So they have a whole arm that's getting uh, donations to pay for everything. They have a whole wing of of bike couriers who will go out, shop, and deliver these things to people. And it's completely self-organizing, completely not part of the government, not part of any kind of uh, official organization. They're just doing it. That's the kind of on-the-ground, self-organizing New York thing happening. You know, it's interesting, and we'll ask her about this. It's a pandemic that's brought us all together in a weird way, made something common that we all have, uh, that we share, and has it made us better people in some ways? And what's she been doing with her time? Has she been here in New York City, or has she been up 
state or uh, I mean, all this isolation, yeah, it really makes you pine for connection and it makes you index, I think, toward connection. People are calling their families more, they're calling their friends more, they are taking the time to do those distance gatherings. And I, I'm I'm feeling like in some weird ways at this point now, deep into this thing more connected in some ways than I was before. Susan Rockefeller joins us. She is all about sustainability and creativity, and she will sustain us, we hope, when we return. The world runs on Accutron time. Accutron watches since 1960, from New York City to around the world. Susan, welcome to the Accutron Show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, we'll change that. Now, um, <laughs> I hope one, not. Of, <laughs> one of the things we were talking about before you got here is whether or not charity can be taught or are some people born with the innate desire to give back? What do you think? Well, I think charity is one term, right? Which is really about giving a certain percentage of your income, mostly and historically to churches. Philanthropy is really different. So I would love to pivot to philanthropy. Please. And uh, say that I think that there is a new enlightened philanthropy that's at work right now. So I would say, you know, the definition is love of mankind, love of humankind. And at this juncture with COVID-19 and the climate crisis, we have people looking to have purpose and use their passion to help save the planet and save themselves. So there's tr- there's time, there's treasure, and there is talent. So those are the three components. And I think there's so many different ways that you can be charitable. You can do that with social impact. You could do it with your business. You could do it volunteering. So I believe it's it's like a whole new ethos. I think another important factor that even we've discussed already is sustainability. Sustainability is a very big buzzword right now, but how are you anchoring what you're doing in sustainability? Well, that's a great question. I would say that sustainability has now become more sustainable. Like every single person (laughs) is always saying they're sustainable, they're green. I think it's really overused. Um, There's new ways that people are looking at sustainability. If they're making products, it's closed loop. It's no waste. Um, what I'm thinking about now because of my career that's been in sustainability and I've written about sustainability is my mantra is just do less harm. And that is in every aspect of my life. It's, you know, do you really need something that you're thinking of purchasing? Um, and really looking back, like looking back to the way that people used to live, the simplicity, um, you know, repairing clothes, not having to buy something that's new, um, having more simple ways of eating, which all leads to a healthier lifestyle. So I think sustainability is something that is very important. I think it needs to be taught K through life. And uh, we have a climate crisis and people need to understand that we are all connected. The virus has certainly taught us that there is no escaping our ecosystem, our global global ecosystem. Um, So sustainability, I think, is overused, but I also think it is a vital component and that my hope is that sustainability will be just part of everyday life, not something separate. It's a really interesting uh, note about the lesson of the virus being that we are connected. 
like we think of the virus as this really negative thing. It is. It's hurting people. It's killing people. But it also is demonstrating very clearly to us that we are all connected in this invisible way. We didn't even aware. We weren't even aware. We're breathing literally the same air. Exactly. I mean, that's. I think that's the biggest sort of transformational change that's come from the pandemic is that you can't escape. It doesn't matter where you live. It's an invisible virus. It can affect anyone at any time. Right. It's a great metaphor actually for the climate crisis. It's this thing that affects everyone. That's part of this network that we are all, it's very necessary. We need air to breathe, we need energy and we need, there's all these other things. So we, and we all rely on it. It's this shared obligation, shared responsibility. I absolutely agree. And I think that, you know, one thing that um, really came home with this virus is that, you, one, you can't escape it. Two, we cannot be separate from nature. It is drilled home that we are part of nature. We cannot escape what we're doing in terms of encroaching on wild places. And we have got to come up with a different way of approaching and dealing with, with land use, with agriculture, with protecting wild places, and also rewilding places so that we can have more biodiversity. You've covered the topic of food science many times before. Can you talk about what you've learned recently with regard to food? So one of the best books that I've read during the pandemic is We Are the Weather, Climate Change Begins at Breakfast by Jonathan Safran Foer. And if you have not read it, it is a great read. I sit on the board of Stone Barn Center for Food and Agriculture, and I made a film. I produced a film called Food for Thought, Food for Life, and also co-produced a film that's now on Netflix called Kiss the Ground. And the biggest takeaway is that the soil is a solution to climate change, number one. We need to regenerate the soil. We need to have less chemical and fertilizer inputs. We need to build a very healthy soil ecosystem so that we can retain more water and, and simply, we need to eat more protective foods. So it's vegetables, it's fruits, it's grains, it's legumes, like all the research points that to the fact that if you have less processed food and you go back to sort of the old ways of healthy fruits and vegetables, you will have a greater immunity that can help prevent you from getting sicker. So let's back up for a second because you do so many things. We talked about philanthropy. We talked about uh, the books and, and movies and documentaries. What has, and we've talked about the pandemic shutting people down or stopping people. What has it meant to you personally in terms of pursuing the next movie or the next project that you're working on? I have to say this pandemic has been really, I mean, aside from the enormous suffering that is occurring around the world and the the broken systems like the the fact that now we see the fragility of our food system, so many things have come to light because of the pandemic. It's also given me a, an amazing opportunity to be with my husband and my family and deepen our relationship to the places that we love. So we spent four months at our farm in upstate New York, and then we went up to Maine to spend the rest of the summer. And now we're back in New York City. I'm very happy to be here. Um, but I would say in terms of my own creativity, it gave me the opportunity to paint. I'm an, a painter and I use encaustic, hot wax, and pigment. And I've always wanted to spend more time in my life painting, and I always have an excuse. There's always something going on. You've also taken on the role of designer and very recently designed the Enlightened Uniform, which is composed of upcycled materials. 
it's also a throwback. There's a, there are many vintage stylings to your design, and this is a podcast about a retrofuturistic watch brand. So I'm wondering if you could tell us about your design references and also the materiality of the Enlightened Uniform. And also, what's it for? So that's a great question. I, um, I was in Shanghai last year, and I was a judge for a material innovation prize for the Caring Group. And while I was there, I saw lots of the fashion shows and, and love the innovation and the style in Shanghai. So anyone who hasn't been there, you have to go. It's an incredible city. But while I was there, I spent some time with a friend and colleague who has a company called the R Collective and, and also a nonprofit called Redress. And the whole idea of it is to take the waste of fashion fabric and reimagine it and reuse it and essentially rescue it from what would otherwise go to the landfill or be incinerated. These are cast-off pieces from the manufacturing process. Yes, and scraps and and unwanted material. So I was thinking, like, what is it? If you could pare down what's most important, you know, what is the uniform? Like, what would the uniform be that would really just be able to have, in my busy life, I could dress it up, I can dress it down, and I, I, I designed this jumpsuit. And I waited. We looked through a lot of material, and then this incredible, luxurious fabric came to us. I can't say the company because we signed an NDA, but it is amazing. And we made the prototype, and then we launched it with different influencers and did a campaign just about three weeks ago. And the whole idea is that, you know, what is the essence of what we really need to wear? And for me, and I think for a lot of people, if we move from a consumption or consumptive society to a more creative one, you don't want to spend that much time thinking about what to wear, but you want to feel sexy and alive and and comfortable. And, and those were some of the attributes that I was looking for. So I'm hoping it's timeless, that you can wear it in a variety of ways. Um, but I do think that, you know, this time of the pandemic has really brought home the idea that we need to look to some of the old ways, the classic ways. I, I love science fiction. I love dystopian uh, films, so I love looking at actually the design and the wardrobe of Mad Max and the you know the 100. Like I love all of that. So I love the fact that this talk show is looking uh, to what are those essentials? Like what do we need? What do we need in this time where we have so many problems to address? We've got climate change. We've got you know this pandemic that is just wreaking havoc across the globe. And I think that people are looking to the values of, you know, everything from food to like beautiful design and, and what does it look like? Is it minimal? Is it, um, you want to understand better how things work? And I love the fact that, you know, time is precious. Like we're at a point where, you know, we don't have that much time to solve these massive problems. So I, I believe people need to wake up and use their passions and, and use it to good for the best for everybody. Before we get to that Mad Max stage, is what you're saying. Exactly. Although the Although designs are pretty good. They're they really were. good. <laughs> I love them. Yeah. Well, what's great about the watch, and I just spent some time looking at it, is that it's got this sort of timeless sort of retro feel, but it's also very futuristic and modern because it's actually taking the elemental sort of essence of looking at the mechanics of the watch. So I love that part of it. You know, just like in Mad Max, I love the leather and the chains and just sort of the edge. And I think that's what 
the swatch has. What, uh, for people who can't see it, obviously, because we're talking about it, tell us about the design cues and what it sort of resembles for you or how you would describe it to the someone who hasn't seen it, the uniform. So it is, think about a flight suit, but a beautiful, it's snap. So there's snaps and there's a, a pocket where you can hold your cell phone. It's got a little secret pocket on one side. So it's got two pockets that you can put your hands in. It's got a pocket uh, that you can put, you know, your credit card in. Um, you can belt it. It's long-sleeved. It also has protective qualities. We built in a mask. We also have a hood so that you can be nice and cozy. And in the back of the hood, we had Swarovski give us upcycled crystals, and it's in the shape of a star, which is really about thinking to the north and true north and having some faith and hope in this time of crisis. So there's different reminders, like we can stay strong. And I think any woman that wears it, I love it. And all the women that wore it, just they loved it. They love the way they felt. It fits women of all different sizes. And every single woman looked great in it. And how's it coming to market? Where, where will it be and how can we find it? So it's direct to consumer and you can go to the R Collective and that's where you will find it. Is it too reductive to call it an adult onesie? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's pretty funny, but um, I just love the fact that I came up with just, it's an enlightened uniform for pandemic and post-pandemic times, uh-huh. and it has built in, you know, instead of like, oh, I forgot my mask, it's like the mask is right built, you know, built in, and it actually looks like a nice little, you know, kind of a collar, gotcha. so if you're not wearing it, it looks kind of pretty, and then you can pull it back and put it behind the hood, and you can unsnap and have a little jewelry and make it's it It's the Swiss sexier. Army suit. It's, it's, it is like the Swiss Army suit. Yeah, yes, go. exactly. Okay. And it comes in gray, light gray, and blue. It was nice to hear your musings on the subject of time and the value of time and the luxury of time. And musings actually happens to be the name of your digital publication. As someone who's editor-in-chief of a digital publication, I'd love to know where yours came from and, and what your mission is. So musings came from the idea that I get a huge amount of digital uh, magazines into my inbox every day. I love reading digital magazines and newsletters, but I wasn't getting what I wanted. So I said to myself, what is it that I want that I can't seem to find in all these other newsletters? And it was a newsletter that would come twice a month, not every day, not once a week. And it would showcase innovation, responsible innovation in different areas that would really inspire me Um, about people taking problems and looking for solutions, but using business to do so. Although I do also um, interview nonprofit organizations as well. But the idea was really like, you know, what will inspire me? What will make me feel that, you know, there's hope for this this world? What will inspire young people? Um, And we have really good nonprofit partners. So that was the other thing I, I was like, who do I look to that can actually give me the best information and to the point of sustainability that the products? So I have Parsons School of Design for sustainable fashion. I've got Made Safe, which is a certification for green chemistry so that you know that the products that you're using have no bad chemicals or ingredients in it. I've got a Food System 6, which is an incubator for innovators in the food system space and mandatory partners and I've got uh, We Are Family Foundation, which is really exciting because that's teen leaders that are really just amazingly brilliant, doing incredible things in the world that I wanted to highlight as well. 
So I don't think, Susan, that you would say this, but I look at your films and some of the things you're doing, and you really are kind of modeling how we should be better citizens. So in some of the social media that you're doing, how would you tell people to live their lives a little differently? Well, I think you have to teach by example, right? I think that I can't go tell somebody to do something if I'm not doing it myself. So for instance, when I made the film Mission of Mermaids, A Love Letter to the Ocean, it gave concrete information on how you can help save the ocean. And one was become a wave maker and join Oceana. The other was ride a bike, don't drive a car because that contributes to ocean acidification. Use less plastic or refuse single-use plastic. So in each of the the areas that I will say, this is something that you might consider doing, I do myself. Uh, The same with, uh, you know, Food for Thought, Food for Life, and Kiss the Ground, those two films on agriculture. I eat plant-based, 98% plant-based now. So I'm not going to say something that I don't do myself. Have you had so, that Impossible Burger? Because it's pretty good. I have. I love the I love Impossible it Burger. <laughs> I honestly love it so and much. And I actually think that Patrick Brown, the CEO, is a genius. And what he's doing, he's he's coming at the, the plant-based diet from a compassion standpoint. He's saying the way we treat industrial animals is just horrible. And I agree with him. And he wanted to create a, a plant-based meat that actually has blood that looks like it has blood in it. Like it's a bloody hamburger that uses the heme, the protein from a a soy um, plant. And it is tasty and fantastic. And it is addressing a real problem that we have too much meat in our diet. It's not good for the health of, of our, you know, heart, but it's also horrible for the planet. I really love this idea that social media um, can be kind of turned from it's somewhat darker purposes from the kind of FOMO inducing uh, social media and use as a platform for, Hey, like, you know, be a philanthropist. Don't be a philanthropist. Here's how I'm living my life. Like social media is very good at that. at showing how to live by example or showing how you might be living by example. It's inspiration is philanthropy in many right. ways. Do you feel like younger generations, millennials and Gen Z are getting it more than older generations? Yes, I do. I think that the young uh, Gen Z and millennials are inheriting a nightmare that many of us created for corporations and governments that were not being that accountable have created. And I think of Greta and I think of, you know, Fire Drill Fridays, which is Jane Fonda's initiative, which is bringing in a lot of young people, but using the wisdom of older people. Um, but I think young people get it. And, and I think they are really purpose-driven. They're not going for the corporate bank jobs. They're looking at how they can create purpose and passion and, and make a difference in their day-to-day life. But changing someone's mind is really hard. If you grew up, you know, when I was a little kid, environmentalism was not a thing. People were not worried about the environment. And so there has to be a change in your mindset at that point. Kids growing up today, they don't have to change their mindset to see the problems with the environment. Exactly. We just have to put it in a video game. Yeah, I think I actually I do think that the video games, the gaming industry has a great opportunity to take these issues and make it into games so that 
all these kids can learn more because that's where people are spending, many of these young people are spending the majority of their time. Johnny Appleseed is back and he's got a gun. <laughs> um, I love that you make documentaries but love science fiction. So I can't let you go without, what's your favorite science fiction film? Oh God, there's so many. I have to say Soylent Green is one of my all-time <laughs> favorites. Spoiler alert, it's people. <laughs> but it there. is. And it's I, better than factory farming. Yeah, I do. I thought Soylent Green was great. Um, I love, I love Blade Runner. I just, I mean, I just, I think that they are the, they're a great way of imagining the future. And what's fantastic about science fiction and dystopian films is that there is always the passion and the human connection. There's the hope. And last great documentary you saw that wasn't one of yours. Oh, okay. I was going to say one of mine. Um, (laughs) The last great documentary that I saw was a documentary called Time, and it's about a woman. It took her 20 years, and it's about a woman who she and her husband robbed a bank, and he was incarcerated oh, for 20 yeah, yeah, years, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it focuses on her raising her kids with the absence of their father, and I think it's a really brilliant film. I and saw the trailer for that. Yeah, I haven't seen that. It's fantastic, yeah. shot in black and white, yeah. and just riveting. Did you see My Octopus Teacher? Oh, and I would say my other favorite film, <laughs> hands down, was My Octopus Teacher. I wept. Me too. It was so beautiful, and I hope it gets shortlisted. But he should have sh- should have shooed that shark away. Come on. <laughs> Is this a spoiler? It's a I can't handle a spoiler. It's, no, that's a bit of a, it's a little bit of a spoiler alert, but Sorry. I loved that film. And then I will make one plug for a film that we're involved with. It's a uh, Victor Kozakowski film called Gunda. And it played at the Berlin Film Festival. And uh, Joaquin Phoenix came on as an executive producer. And it is, it is a black and white film about a pig called Gunda and her offspring and about some chickens and some cows. There is no human dialogue. It is all animals. And it is absolutely brilliant. So watch Gunda. out for that. Where will that be? It will be. It's on the. I'm fa- sorry. When will Netflix when, have when that? When will Netflix have it? Soon. <laughs> soon. This is kind of out of nowhere, but you are a documentary filmmaker, as we talked about a moment ago, and you vote in the Academy Awards. You're a member of the the Academy. Is there going to be an uh, an Oscars this year? And should there be? There will be, but I think it's in April. There's a lot of talk now about postponing it altogether because there isn't the access to seeing as many of the films and there may not be as many films to consider this year. And so somebody somebody in Variety was wrote a piece about, let's just take this year off. How would you feel about that? I think there's plenty of films. I mean, I don't know about, you know, in terms of the access, there's Netflix, there's Amazon, I think that there's a lot of platforms that are now acquiring a lot of films that would otherwise be acquired later in the process so that they're able to use the platforms to get the word out about these documentaries. And I think that there's some incredible documentaries that are coming in this year. So I would say, you know, keep going and invent and, and pivot and find a way to make it happen, which is what they're doing. And I think that's, and, and to that point, even with nonprofit organizations, I sit on the board of Oceana, we do an event every year and we just completed one and we raised the same amount of money without having to have a venue with all the costs associated with it. So we could have skipped a year, but, but why? The problems right. are here. We want to support a group like Oceana. The Academy has all these incredible films and to the filmmakers, you know, for the filmmakers, 
why why would we want to wait a year? I think it's a disservice to the filmmakers right. that are working so hard and they have them out. And um, The real problem may be the year after when in this right. period well, we haven't had a well chance to make it. The well might get a little drier yeah, next right, year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Definitely about, to that point because people can't produce. Right. They're not able to be on the set. Yeah, we're still, to, we're still yeah. running through the, the backlog of stuff, chugs through the system. There was a bunch of stuff that was in the can that just needed to be edited. Right. There was, yeah. So, but I think there's so much creativity happening and so many films that have come, come into, uh, you know, Netflix and, and other platforms that are really addressing what's happening, whether it's, you know, the pandemic, whether it's incarceration, whether it's George Floyd and, and Black Lives Matter. So to wait a year seems like it, it's not the best thing to do. So I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm a proponent of keeping the academies Going and then is. to your point about how how you're raising money in a different way in this environment uh, from a charitable standpoint and philanthropy, you think we will go back to the rubber chicken dinners or now is it going to be just virtual from now on since you don't have to rent a hotel and you don't have to do all those things? I think there's going to be a hybrid because I personally think people are going to be so excited to come back and <laughs> be together in a room and that's right and dance together like we we. Oceana is known for having these great dance parties, and we actually had musicians film some music. We had Nile Rodgers, Sting, Rakim Walker Project, and and Shwayze, and we all danced in our virtual little you know <laughs> pods so that we could have that feeling of being together. But I think that it will be a hybrid, and actually, that's a great you know in terms of sort of the positive of the pandemic. You know, you've seen that. There's less air pollution. There's not as many air, you know, airplane airplanes in the air. I think that many of the travel, um, it will change. It will be a hybrid. So that there might be one meeting a year instead of three. And I think that will be better for the planet and also uh, less stress for everybody. I want to go back to uh, the idea you were mentioning about uh, having a farm. Um, I know that uh, raising kids one of the most effective ways for them to learn things is to actually do stuff. When we've gotten out into the yard and planted stuff or built things, or, you know, when they do it with their hands, when they learn about it on the page is only one thing, but to actually put it into practice is another. What did you learn from having a farm or have you learned? Well, you know, I grew up always doing things in the earth and I actually went, I spent one year in, at the university of California, Santa Cruz doing a year of organic gardening. And then I lived with the Inuit in Alaska, and I did gardening projects. So I have—I really am an experiential learner, and I believe that that it is, you know, it's like the map is not the territory. You really have to get in and experience, and I think that's how kids learn. That's how all of us really learn and take things in. Um, so I, I love getting, you know, there's an expression, you have to dig in order to dig it, and I do feel <laughs> like you got to get in there. You got to dig yeah. in. It just seems to me there's one thing, you know, a lot of philanthropy is uh, that's uh, towards the environment um, is aimed at actually fixing the actual problem. We're going to go do carbon capture. We're going to go do this process. But until we get all the people to understand it, so there's a hearts and minds piece, which feels like the film to go to. I'm wondering if there's an experiential piece, like how can we get large numbers of people digging it so they can dig it? So, you know, that's a great question. And uh, Dan Barber and Stone Barn Center for Food and Agriculture actually started a recipe for making a garden. So you can go to the Stone Barn site 
And there's been over 2,000 gardens that have been put in globally. Wow. So I actually think you need a recipe, just like you need a recipe to go cook a meal. You need a recipe to how to grow a garden. Mm-hmm. And that's what they put together, like a really step-by-step process for people. Great COVID project, too. Really good COVID project as well. Let's talk about social media for a second. What's your profile there? Uh, how do you use it? And uh, has it changed at all during COVID? Actually, I want to I want to add something. I think you've got a solid 50,000 Instagram followers. Do you consider yourself an influencer? And if so, could you mention this podcast liberally? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I think social media, I, I just saw the social dilemma. I don't know if you have seen it. Oh, yeah, sure. But um, it's such a complicated relationship, right? Like, it's an incredible tool to get ideas out and create community. And I love Instagram. I feel like I look back and I have this visual history of my thoughts for the past couple of years. It's kind of amazing. And um, I love it. I love, I love that community. So I'm not, I'm not a fan of Facebook, although it's linked, but I love Instagram. Instagram is part of my life. I am aware of the addictive quality to it, especially after seeing the social dilemma, like how many likes did I get or how many people attacked me for this you know, Instagram posts that I just put up on democracy and, and voting. Well, we can attest to listeners that during this entire interview, you have not looked at your phone once. So <laughs> I did not, but I don't know. Maybe I should right now. <laughs> Graver has Graver looked back at his history and he has like 30,000 Instagram posts since he started. That was Twitter. Yeah, I, was, uh, I tweeted 32,000 times. He's up to 32,000. I was so embarrassed. Oh. <laughs> yeah, 2,000 2, new ones in the last week. <laughs> You know, what's interesting about the social dilemma is you look at that, Susan Rockefeller looks at that and says, I'm doing good with this. I'm getting out a good message to people. And I'm, it's frustrating to think that I'm part of some, uh, you know, mind altering thing that, uh, that five people in a room in <laughs> Silicon Valley dreamt up 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. I think the most important thing that I got out of it is that we really need design and media literacy. We need to understand who's designing these programs, how they affect us, and we need to understand that we truly are the product. You know, they're not, you know, it said that in the, in the movie that, you know, if, they're, if, if you're not paying for it, you are the product and they are mining our data. Maybe Musings needs to vet that the way it vets <laughs> everything else on the site. Somebody needs to, and somebody yeah. will step up and do that. But I would say that, you know, in this time of, especially with the pandemic and of COVID-19, the social media has been a, a great way of convening and, and using technology for good. And, you know, Zoom, I was never on Zoom. Really no one hard. was. And now I'm on all the time and it's extraordinary. And my hope that is that if this continues, which in some ways it will, that there's more innovation with the technology, whether it's more immersive and VR, that, that something happens where you're really feeling like you're in the space with somebody because it does get quite static. So I think that what we'll see as a result of this pandemic is much more innovation on the technology side for social media. We have brought in the real uh, Susan Rockefeller to join us on the Accutron show today. Uh, she is an entrepreneur. Uh, she is a philanthropist, she is a filmmaker, and she is our special guest today on the Accutron Show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. 
On behalf of Cool Hunting's David Graver and Bon Vivant Scott Alexander, I'm Bill McCuddy for The Accutron Show. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Accutron Show. To hear all our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. For upcoming guests as well as behind-the-scenes action, follow us on Instagram at AccutronWatch. From the 29th floor of the Empire State Building, until next time, Accutron time. Set your tuning forks.